Talking Books with Susan Cahill. This is News Talk. I started somewhere and then the more I looked, the more interesting it got. And there were so many sub-questions that arose as I was doing the research. How do you do this? How do you do that? That in the end, I just had to write a book about it. This is not something that could be dealt with in a series of academic papers. It's uh, just like walking around an extremely interesting aquarium and you think, yes, you do want to look at it from, 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 from all sides. Because there's so many things that could possibly go wrong. Every time I identified something where there was a problem or a potential problem, I was told, oh, yes, but so-and-so will solve that problem and he's the best in the field. And, yeah, if you, if you, if you need to get $2 million in small banknotes into Kenya without the Kenyan Central Bank knowing about it or it being confiscated at customs, Years ago, to guy. I thought it was just so fascinating that amount of information, all these problem solvers who are connected with each other. Every point at which these cases could go wrong, somebody had located that I can solve this problem for you for a price, but that price will be well worth it because, in the end, it's about saving a human being. Every exchange situation contains a risk of predation, cheating and unfulfilled promises. The startling words of Agnes Shortland from her fascinating new book Kidnap, Inside the Ransom Business, published by Oxford University Press. Hello, how are you? And you're very welcome to Talking Books. I'm Susan Cahill. It's lovely to have your company this evening. How big is the ransom business and why are most transnational kidnaps peacefully resolved? Well, on tonight's show, we're going to explore those questions with German researcher and writer Anja Shortland, whose new book, Kidnap, Inside the Ransom Business, has just been published by Oxford University Press, where Anja states... Most kidnapping problems occur in states where governments are challenged by insurgencies and organised crime. Anya goes on to argue media coverage has a different bias. There is also self-censorship. It would be unwise for a victim's family to advertise that they'd paid a substantial ransom for the safe return of a loved one. So how organised is the market for hostages and would people be safer if insurance did not exist? Okay, I'm Anya Shortland. I'm a reader in political economy at King's College London. And I'm interested in institutional economics, private governance, and I'm particularly interested in the world's trickiest markets, how people trade hostages, hijack ships, fine art, um, antiquities, and how people live and trade and invest in countries where the state is weak or the state is even non-existent are making for very complex and hostile territories. And I've just published a book, Kidnap Inside the Ransom Business, which looks at the market for hostages 
in great detail. Really well done on the book, Anya. I have to say it was a hugely informative read. Very uncomfortable in some parts, but uh, deeply interesting in other parts. I think how you sketch out all your case studies and all your insider information all uh, mingled together with the research was so, so interesting. I might throw you a big wide open question to kick things off and sure we can take it from there. How complex is a ransom business? And is it fair to say that it's still today something of a puzzle? Well, I thought it was an amazing puzzle for an economist to start with. If you look at the media portrayal of kidnap for ransom, you get the impression that it's extremely violent, that it almost always goes wrong, and that it's super profitable for the kidnappers if it goes right. So you get these million-dollar ransoms being splashed out. You think, well, how does that actually work? Is that really the right picture that we have of kidnap for ransom. Um, Because if that was the right picture of kidnap for ransom, then we shouldn't see quite so many companies investing and trading and mining and researching and reporting from places where kidnap is common and where you can't rely on the police and the state to protect you. So these companies and NGOs all work in these complex and hostile territories and have a duty of care, then maybe there is more to kidnapping than what we read in the media. And then you also find that it's insurable. And insurability means that it must be a market that's relatively stable, that's predictable, and that can't be super profitable because if it was super profitable, then we'd see too much of it for it to be insurable. So those were the puzzles that I started with. The other big puzzle is how could kidnap for ransom ever go right? Usually when we trade with someone, we choose a trading partner. With kidnap for ransom, it's a random thing. Somebody kidnaps your beloved, your treasure, and you're forced into a trading relationship with them. You know nothing of them. You've no reason to trust them. You have to find a price for something that a human being, and that's extremely difficult. I mean, there's a very large range of prices that might be possible. How do you fix on one? How do you make a payment? How do you extract the hostage? Um, Why would they release the hostage after receiving payment, given that the hostage might be troublesome as a future potential witness? So if you think of it as a chain of things that have to go right, and you keep in mind Murphy's Law, that everything that can go wrong will go wrong, and you think this this shouldn't really work at all, ever. From reading through your book, Kidnap, it seems that this business is fairly organised, is it? Indeed. So that is the answer to that puzzling question of how do these firms um, fulfill their duty of care towards their employees, that actually kidnap is an extremely well-ordered business. And what we see in the media is a very biased view of the cases that have gone wrong. The large majority of kidnap for ransom cases are resolved extremely discreetly extremely non-violently, and almost always positively. So as a ballpark figure, 97.5% of hostages come back alive. Um, Specifically, if we're talking about 
criminal kidnap for ransom that is handled by companies that are associated with kidnap for ransom insurance. I'm just wondering, Anya, do you think that, you know, it could be argued now to a degree that ransom insurance encourages kidnapping? Or do you think that's a bit reductive and a bit simplistic? Like, would people be safer if insurance did not exist? Kidnap for ransom insurance is a rather odd product, unlike other insurance products. So if you're buying kidnap for ransom insurance, it comes with a whole raft of advice sometimes extremely hands-on advice on how to avoid being kidnapped. So would people be safer without this advice? Most definitely.